It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, internet-only, call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 93 or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's Word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study. Good evening and welcome to the Virtual Bible Study. This is Thursday night, May the 13th, and we are live and ready to roll on the Virtual Bible Study. We're glad that you're out there listening to us over the Internet tonight. This is our regular Thursday night appointment for Bible study on the Internet, and we're glad for those of you who regularly join us to participate in this Bible discussion. If you're new to our study, we welcome you and hope that you will appreciate the opportunity and make it a regular appointment as well. Uh, My name is Greg Gwynn. I'm one of the regular hosts on the Virtual Bible Study. My son Jacob, who typically is in this seat running the controls, is not in the studio tonight, and he's out of town, and so... Unfortunately, I am at the controls, which is always a rather dangerous thing, but uh, we'll try to do our best. I think we're getting our stream, both audio and video, out there. And uh, if you have any problems, uh, send us an email or uh, uh, get in the chat room and let me know if you see any problems that are something not working like it should. Uh, Joining me tonight is my good friend Chris Bates. Chris, welcome. Thank you, Greg. And again, thanks to the uh, elders for the opportunity to come and Work with you tonight. Uh, hello to the uh, audience, and uh, hope that you'll uh, accommodate me tonight. I'm not, uh, I'm not the most skilled at this sort of thing. But. Oh, yeah, you do great. In fact, I like to have you here when I have to do the the yeah. controls because you you talk. <laughs> I don't have to coach you. I don't have to coach you to talk. You're willing to well, to let your thoughts be known. I appreciate that. If you want to, if you want to talk, if you want to be involved in the discussion tonight, there's several ways that you can do that. One way is by email. You can send us an email to questions at collegeview.com. We'll keep an eye on the email inbox uh, as the program is going along and try to get your comments on the air if you send them in by email. The best way for you to immediately get on the air is to give us a phone call. We've got a toll-free number, 1-877-381-4567. That's 877-381-4567. We'll pay the bill. Give us a call. You see that contact information scrolling across your screen if you're watching us on Ustream TV. And so you can contact us at any time during the program at those two places, either by phone or email. Also, a really good way to get involved in the study is by way of the chat room. And uh, there's also information on your screen about how to get to the chat room. Join in there. You will have to, if you have never been there, and if you want to participate, if you want to put your comments into the chat room, you'll need to sign up for a little free membership at Ustream TV. It doesn't cost anything. It takes about 10 seconds to get set up. You don't have to give any personal information or anything like that. Get yourself a little uh, um, login uh, name and password at Ustream TV so you can participate. uh, The folks in the chat room always have a lot of fun in there. And I see uh, a couple of our regulars are already in there. Uh, Anthony is in there. Katie Kelly is in there. And uh, others will join, no doubt. So get in the chat room and join that discussion. Give your comments and feedback there. Chris, I think we've got an important topic for discussion tonight. Mm-hmm. We want to talk about religious unity. That's really important. Absolutely. It's important. It is essential. Jesus uh, intended on those who follow him being united upon a thus saith the Lord. And unfortunately, in the religious community, that's not the case. You have any number of of distinguishing uh, groups with their doctrines that distinguish them from one another. And at the end of the day, there's absolutely no way to say that there is unity. Now, some want to want to charge uh, or say that they have unity, but I can I can point one particular uh, I can just give you one particular doctrine where uh, there is a group here that says this is so, and a group over here that says this is not so, and somehow or another they're going to try to to suggest that they have unity. Consider the doctrine of once saved, always saved. You have, That'd be sort of like me saying that wall behind us, Chris, is red, mm-hmm. and you say it is green. Mm-hmm. We don't agree. Well, that's right. But it, we say that we're united. You take the principle of Amos, 
where how can two walk together except they be in agreement? There's no way that you can say, I'll go north, you go south, and we'll walk together. It just doesn't work like that. Exactly right. You know, in the in the book of Psalms, Psalm 133, verse 1, it says, Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Unity is a good thing. And it and as we as we will see in our study tonight, Chris, it's actually something that needs to be a priority to us, a, a, a goal that we work toward. Now, I'm not saying it's the number one priority. Sure. I think we'll find out there's some other things that, uh, you know, have to take place over unity sometimes. Mm-hmm. But unity is an important thing, and it ought to be a priority for Christians. Well, it's going to be important in the local work, for sure. Uh, but one of the most important things about unity is upon what basis do we have it? And I, th- I think as we go on this discussion tonight, we'll see that upon what basis you, you have unity. You can't have unity um, just on any basis. You've got to have unity in one particular standard, and that standard has to be infallible. Exactly right. So we'll talk about our standard of unity and how we can achieve it. But before we get to that, let me let me update our listeners on the questions that I sent out earlier to our update list, our email update list. I sent out some questions earlier today. As to start getting feedback, and some of you have already given us that feedback. If you have not, you may like to give us an email right now or give us a phone call. Here's the question I ask. Many people believe, number one, many people believe that religious division is inevitable but acceptable. It's it's going to happen, but that's okay, basically. Do you agree? Why or why not? That was question one. Mm-hmm. Question two, what things will lead to religious unity? If we are to have religious unity, what things can bring it to pass? And then number three, and as we get later on in the program, I think we want to spend some time, Chris, talking about the attitudes that we all must possess if we're going to achieve unity. I think a lot of it has to do with attitude, yeah. and the Bible talks about that. So we're going to go to that uh, later on in our study. So first of all, is religious division inevitable and acceptable? I want to argue... First of all, that I think that it is not inevitable. I would base that on the prayer of Jesus that you alluded to earlier, Chris, Mm -hmm. in John chapter 17. John 17 is an interesting text because it's a prayer that Jesus prayed just before he was arrested and crucified. So if you stop and think about it, if you knew you were about to die, Mm -hmm. and Jesus did, you wouldn't be thinking about, praying about, or discussing things unimportant to you. Sure. You would only be talking about things that are vitally important Absolutely. to you, right? Yes. And so here's what was on Jesus' mind just before his death. He said in John chapter 17, beginning verse 20, Neither pray I for these alone, he'd just been praying for his apostles, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. That's us, right? Right, we everybody. Believe, that's, that, that's all believers yeah. today. Yeah. We believe on him through the word of the apostles. Mm-hmm. Uh, here's what he prayed for, for us, that they, that we all might be one as thou father art me and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me and the glory, which thou gavest me, I have given to them that they may be one, even as we are one. Jesus desire for his disciples, not just for his immediate apostles, but for all who would believe through the things the apostles taught was that we would be united, not just some kind of false unity and diversity, but united at the same level that the Father and Son are united. United in the same way that the New Testament Christians were united. Sure, there was some division, uh, and and in that division, it was ridiculed and condemned. And so we we understand that there's no uh, unity uh, in division. And you're absolutely right, Greg, that uh, this is the kind of unity. That's an important point to to notice, that uh, the kind of unity Jesus desired of his disciples, of those who would follow him, is the kind of unity that... Uh, he had with his father. And if we can understand the the gravity of that statement, the statement that Jesus prays, that uh, I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe on me through their word, that is, for the, as you mentioned, the apostles' word, that they all may be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That's the kind of unity we're, we're striving for. There is no unity uh, in, quote-unquote, doctrinal diversity. All right. Now, I think we could, in answer to this question, is religious division inevitable? I think I want to come at it from a couple of different directions. But I, I, my first answer is it's not inevitable. Unity is possible because God commanded it. Um, we could go to a whole host of verses. I'm not going to read all these. I just kind of wrote down a quick list earlier. 
Romans 12, 16, Romans 14, 19, 1 Corinthians 1, verse 10, 1 Peter 3, verse 8, and the list goes on of passages that tell us we are commanded to seek unity, to be at peace with one another. And actually, when you see the church in its very infancy, you see unity. In Acts chapter 2, when the Mm -hmm. church had just began, it said in, in Acts 2, verse 42, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and had all things common. That speaks of unity, Chris. And and so in in the very earliest days of Christianity, of course, people could argue there was only one, one congregation at that time, the right. congregation in Jerusalem. But there was unity based on the fact that they all believed and did the same thing. Well, and another interesting thing is is that the apostles all taught the same thing. You know, there was not uh, Peter's doctrine and Paul's doctrine, and and there was not uh, James's doctrine, and and so on and so forth, or Thomas's doctrine. They were all teaching the doctrine of Christ. They all taught the very gospel that Jesus commissioned them to preach. And so, when you when you listen on the day of Pentecost, although Peter's uh, the primary spokesman on that occasion, surely there were uh, there was other preaching being done. But uh, Peter's sermon is recorded. And so had there been other preaching, such as the, the preaching of, of, um, of James or of, of other apostles, John, and, and others that would have been on, on, uh, present on that, on that occasion, they would not have been differing with one another. Oh, I know Peter said that, but let me tell you what the truth is. They were all reaffirming what one another had said and, and confirming that, not only through the miracles that were being, being performed that confirmed the truth, but the fact that the truth is singular. I mean, there's not multiplicity of truths uh, where you have a truth and I have a truth and he has a truth. Uh, they were all teaching the same exact thing. They were speaking the same thing. And that's why there was unity in the first century. And that's why there can be unity now. We, we're going to have to do it on that basis, though. Uh, all right. So from a, from a technical uh, – maybe that's not the right word to use, Chris, but let's I'll, I'll use it anyway. From a technical or purest sense – Unity is not inevitable. In other words, it would be possible to be united. And we're going to see that that unity would have to come based upon adherence to God's truth, an agreement and adherence to God's truth. But now here, here's the, the other side of that coin. And I see some comments in the chat room. Uh, Katie Kelly mentions division equals inevitable is the same as sin equals inevitable. It shouldn't be, but both seem to happen. In other words, Theoretically, or in the technical sense, it'd be possible to live above sin. Uh, but it doesn't happen in our lives. We know the scriptures even say, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, James or uh, Romans 3.23. So it, it, we're saying unity is possible, but we understand reality is, even in that first century time frame, the unity fell apart pretty fast mm-hmm. because of fallible human beings. Fallible human beings who are not being submissive to the will of God. That's the reality. Yeah, and that's going to continue to be the case. So, yeah, I, I mean, you want to do a little deeper thinking on the statement, you know, is is division inevitable? Is unity ined- inevitable? Uh, even before there were differing doctrines that would be um, distinct among themselves, there was there was not complete or and or total unity in the first century. There there was still those who were sowing discord among the brethren in the first century, say, saying that there was this required of them, that required of them, that wasn't. That did a lot of harm towards achieving unity. So I no, I don't think unity is inevitable. I think it would be um, um, I think it would be welcomed, you know. But we're not going to have unity just because you say, "Well, I want unity," and I say, "I want unity." We're going to have to come to it on the basis of that one infallible standard. And as you mentioned, it wasn't it wasn't the problem of the truth as to why there was not unity in the first century as to why there's not unity today. It is the problem of a fallible individual who says, "You know, I, I hear what the gospel says, but I think I would rather do this." Yeah. And that's where that's where we're going to have yeah. some some parting of the ways. We're going to get to some some of your emails on this question. We want to know: Do you think division is inevitable? It's going to happen. It, it, it's just, it, but it's okay. You know, it's okay that we don't believe the same things. That's that's. That's the mindset of the general religious world today. We're going to have division, but it, don't worry about it. That's that's the, the the approach that many have taken. We and we're getting some emails along this line. We want to get your answers as well. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll get to some of those emails. Remember, 
First question is, do you think religious division is inevitable? It's going to happen, but don't worry about it. It's okay. We want to know your thinking on that. Secondly, how can religious unity be achieved if it is? And thirdly, what attitudes are necessary to bring it about? So that's where we're going to go in our study. We're going to take a break. When we come back from this, we want to get to some of your emails. uh, And we also love to have your other comments. Let us know what you think uh, right after this break. Don't touch that mouse. The virtual Bible study will be back right after this. Do you remember when no one would have thought twice about getting the church involved in daycare centers, kindergarten, softball leagues, and youth camps? Are you upset when churches spend more time and money on social programs and recreational activities than on spreading the gospel? Are you tired of seeing congregations with their emphasis in entirely the wrong areas? We're still preaching the same gospel and still practicing the same things that you remember from years ago. We're committed to the idea of speaking where the Bible speaks and being silent where the Bible is silent. Check us out. Please visit soon at the College View Church of Christ. I'm Arthur Haynes from Kaleoka, Tennessee, and one of my greatest highlights of the week is to listen to the Virtual Bible Study. Use your Internet connection for something good. Listen to the Virtual Bible Study every week. Now, back to the program. And welcome back to the Virtual Bible Study. We're talking about religious unity. We're talking about the problem of religious division. Uh, that's our topic for tonight. I got an email here from uh, Anthony in Columbia. And, and Chris, you've got some emails there to I add do. in. But let me quickly go to what Anthony says on this question of the ine- inevitability of division. He says, there are a few ways to answer this question, perhaps. In one sense, because mankind is flawed, there will inevitably be division and strife among men, even about religious matters. Some will give in to arrogance and pride and cause division, as in Acts 20, uh, 28 through 30. This is not the fault of God, but rather the devil and men who fall victim to his devices. Even if division is inevitable, it is never acceptable. Jesus famously prayed for his followers to be unified. Several passages in the New Testament teach its importance, one example being Ephesians chapter 4. I'm not sure every Christian will ever agree on every single possible biblical topic how hard it is for a family to decide what restaurant to go to Uh, but i'm not sure if that rules out the possibility of the unity being described in ephesians 4 a good part of the unity is forbearance submission and deference we can be united in christ but still perhaps have different ideas on some biblical topics if we focus on all our differences and get bent out of shape because a brother doesn't fall on the same side of an issue as i do then we will just cause more and more strife and division If instead we focus on our common ground, we'll be a lot closer to unity, uh, the unity we are called to have. As a side note, in a sense, it can sometimes be a good thing to realize that there will always be some level of division or disagreement even among brethren. I have known of some who have left the Lord's Church to join the Catholic Church because they thought it would resolve the problem of division. After all, the Pope tells everyone what to do and no one is supposed to formulate their own ideas. But, of course, even the Catholic Church is divided. No two Catholics agree on everything, and even the entire church is, was even the entire church split centuries ago. So I guess the moral of the story is that, in some instances, a search for perceived unity can lead one astray. I think that's right. The only thing that I would have a, a little difference in the way that Anthony expressed this is he, he, he says we need to focus on our common ground, and I agree with that, but we can't do that exclusively. You know, for, for instance... Uh, we agree with the Catholics on the fact that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, but we don't agree with them on a whole host of doctrinal things. In other words, could we have unity with the Catholics by just focusing on our common ground? No, because there are, there are other things that are also necessary. Uh, so, you know, this becomes a tough question. Which issues are the essential ones and which ones can we differ about, have some disagreement about? Uh, and I, I would agree with Anthony. I think there are some things that we can work together. We can be united, even though we don't have complete agreement on certain specific subjects. But I don't think that covers all subjects. Right. And so the di- the difficulty becomes how do we determine those essential ones and which ones are not essential? Well, I, I think you know, obviously there's not a list out there, and it's it would be presumptuous for us to to formulate that list. But I think, you know, if I could just boil it all down, it would be this. We have some some wiggle room, or if you will, room to maneuver on matters that are simply indifferent to the Lord. For instance, whether or not um, we sing three songs or five songs before a lesson, whether or not uh, we have services on Sunday morning or Sunday night or both, as long as you're meeting on the first day of the week. You know, I mean, we can go on and on. The, the Lord requires very very many things of us in the scriptures there there are several things we have to do those are matters of faith 
But there are some some areas of judgment involved, like whether or not you want to eat meat or whether or not uh, you observe a particular day individually and personally. As, those, as in Romans 14. That's right. And those are areas where we can agree to disagree because uh, the Lord accepts both of them. Where we could not agree to disagree is in moral areas or areas what, what I will refer to as matters of faith. Uh, stealing. Uh, you could not uh, have unity on, on the basis of one person thinking that and teaching that it's all right to steal and another person saying that's not okay. The Lord has already condemned stealing, and so we can't do that. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? And those are, the, those are the areas, things like that, where the scriptures specifically legislate or imply, uh, then, then we, we don't have room to maneuver. But in those areas where we have matters of judgment or personal judgment, the Lord has uh, given us authorized liberty in that respect to kind of do as we will. And these, these are not going to be significant issues. So I, so I, like I, I find said, there to be, there isn't a, a list needed. So, like you said, an example would be in Romans 14, the eating of meat or the mm-hmm. observing of certain days. Right. It did. It both were accepted by God. Mm-hmm. If you had a conscience for or against those, and I had the opposite conscience, mm-hmm. then Romans 14 tells us we could still Agreed. coexist. Yeah, that's right. And we could to disagree, and, and because it didn't affect our mm-hmm. our work together in the kingdom of God. That's right. But. That does become the issue. I think that is the difficult question to answer because well, let, let's make because it, some people will disagree right. about what are essential matters well, and what are personal make, make conscience it, matters. Make it very simple and not spend a lot of time on it. You remember Paul gave a command to the Thessalonians that they uh, not keep company with any brother who walked waywardly. Okay, so there was no wiggle room there. You see what I'm saying? There were things that would have been you know um, spot on um, notices. That brethren could have could have determined would have been um, of the of the nature that it constituted sin. So in that respect, you couldn't just have unity in all sorts of diversity. If a fellow was committing sin, you couldn't have fellowship with that. But suppose the fellow was eating meat sacrificed to idols. It didn't matter the First, only, because because they have we have revelation on that. First right. Corinthians eight, First yeah. Corinthians ten. Yeah, and the issue, of course, would then be one. It didn't matter that he ate it. But if he was uh, offending the conscience of another in that, then maybe he needed to take some thought of that. But uh, but making it a much simpler issue, Romans 14 is just simply eating meat. There would have been a Gentile who would have had no trouble eating meat that the Jew would have considered unclean, where the Jew would have had a problem eating certain meat. And then another fellow said, no, I think I can only eat vegetables only. It didn't matter. The Lord accepted both of them. Uh, that's a, a might different than Paul telling the Thessalonians, keep away from every brother who leads an unruly life, not according to the tradition which you've received from us. So there is distinction in sinful practices and matters of judgment. Okay. All right. Give us some of those other email responses. Um, here's, here's an email from Don, and we appreciate you listening and writing in. The question uh, to, to question one was, many people believe that religious division is inevitable and acceptable. Do you agree why or why not? And Don's answer is, I do agree that religious division is inevitable because it has been this way since the beginning, uh, such as Jews, heathen believers, unbelievers, Christians, Gentile, etc. And I don't believe this will ever change. With the Christian faith being so much divided within itself, how could we in the broader religious sense ever expect unity among different faiths? This division is acceptable to me, not in the ecumenical sense of accepting other faiths, but in the sense that division leads to more preaching, and the more the gospel is preached, the more God is glorified by the one true faith of Christianity. I would gently dis- uh, disagree with Don on that, that, uh, that this, in the sense that more preaching is being done does not necessarily mean that more preaching of the gospel is being done. Uh, if there is religious division, somebody is wrong somewhere. And so uh, though there may be a lot more preaching going on, this is different than what Paul talked about in the Philippian letter about rejoicing that in, in every circumstance Christ was preached. Some, in some cases he was preached for monetary gain. In other, in other cases it was from sincerity. But the difference was this. There were no differing doctrines in that. Uh, one was preaching Christ for monetary gain or for, for selfish ambition. Another was preaching Christ out of sincerity. They were both preaching the same message. But a, a one one preacher goes out and preaches once saved, always saved. Another one goes out and preaches something else. That's not the same thing. And uh, and, and so there, there is not unity in that. And that's not necessarily then uh, to be concluded that, well, more preaching of the word is being done because one of those doctrines isn't in the word. But, but what Don is saying is the same point we made earlier. 
history bears out division oh, happens yeah, that's true. because that's true, yeah. we got fallible people right. and they're not all going to be submissive to the yeah. truth of God's yeah. word. And, so. I'm, and I just wanted to notice that particular statement. Yeah, yeah. And, and question number two, what things will well, lead... Let's, let's cover the other ones that answered that question. Get your other emails there that covered okay. uh, the, the idea of inevitable sure. division. Um, here's, here's Keith and uh, Keith says, um, I believe religious division is inevitable because human beings are fallen creatures and sinful. Uh, it, is it acceptable? No. Jesus said in John fourteen six, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Also before his death, while he was in the garden, he prayed for those who would believe that they might be one, John 17, which we read a little while ago. Um, and, uh, and then, um, let's see, we have, um, okay, Pat is answering a different question on that. Here is, here is a question from, I mean, a, a, an answer from Phil. Uh, who says religious division is inevitable in a practical sense, but is not acceptable. Division is inevitable in the sense that sin is inevitable. Um, uh, it will happen independently of whether it should. Uh, Romans 3.23 makes it plain that it is a fact of life that all have sinned, but you can't make a case that sin is acceptable. Similarly, divisions will come because false teachers, such as in Acts 20.29, 20, and lovers of self, 2 Timothy 3.2, will certainly come. And we must grasp the fact that we will never live in an earthly spiritual utopia where there are no false teachers or lovers of self. Having said that, he concludes, division, at least of true followers, is in opposition to the express will of our Lord and thus unacceptable and refers to John 17 on that. Good. Good answer, Phil. Thanks for participating in the virtual Bible study tonight. I guess just to sort of summarize here before we go to our half hour break, I think we're all in agreement. There's an ideal out there, Chris. The ideal is unity. It's taught. It's commanded. It's the will of God. It's what he wants. But we got fallible people who are not always submissive to the will of God. That's going to provoke division. So in that sense, since we're dealing with people, we're dealing with the reality of division. We see it in the first century. We talked about in the very infancy of Christianity in Acts 2, there was unity. But you don't have to go very far after that to be Again, seeing divisive things come in as sure. sinful men brought in error and false teaching. I, I found some interesting quotes, uh, not only in the first century, but really throughout church history. There's been division. Here's some famous quotes, one from Martin Luther, of course, the uh, upon whom was founded the Lutheran church. I ask that men make no reference to my name and call themselves not Lutherans, but Christians. What is Luther? My doctrine, I am sure, is not mine, nor have I been crucified for anyone. Uh, Paul would not allow Christians to call themselves after his name, but only as Christians. How then should I, poor, foul carcass that I am, come to have men give to the children of Christ a name derived from my worthless name? No, no, my dear friends, let us abolish all party names and call ourselves Christians after him whose doctrine we have. So Luther understood the problem of division. I appreciate his humility. But in all due respect, uh, Martin Luther, great man though he was in his time, was no Apostle Paul, and his his plea was a little different than the Apostle Paul's. But Paul, plea. even Paul, said effectively the same thing in First Corinthians well, chapter sure. one. Don't but, call yourself after my name. Here's, he said. The, here's the difference. Uh, Martin Luther said, "My doctrine, I'm sure, is not mine, but it was his." Paul's doctrine was the same as Cephas and Apollos and Christ. It was the same doctrine, and some were just elevating the men who were preaching it. But Luther was not preaching what yeah. Paul was preaching. Quick, quick, real quickly before our break, here's John Wesley, of course, founded Meth- the Methodist Church. Would to God that all party names and unscriptural phrases and forms which had divided the Christian world were forgot, and that the very name Methodist might never be mentioned more, but be buried in eternal oblivion. That's well, a worthy statement. Yeah, I appreciate it. If he had not started the Methodist Church, then that statement would carry a little Here's more Here's the famous Baptist, famous Baptist preacher, Charles Spurgeon. Mm. I look forward with pleasure to the day when there will not be a Baptist living. I hope that the Baptist name will soon perish, but let Christ's name last forever. Well, that's, that's a great sentiment, but you got to do it. By adhering to the doctrine of Christ. That's what we're going to go to when we come back from our break. The basis of unity. If we're going to have unity, how are we going to get it? We're going to go to that when we come back from this break. Join in by way of email. The email address, questions at collegeview.com. The phone number, 877-381-4567. Or get in the chat room and make your comments known there. We'll be right back after this break. 
You won't want to miss what we talk about next. The discussion continues right after these important messages. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's Bullet Point. Ty Cobb, the great baseball player of the early 1900s, recorded a lifetime batting average of .367 and won 12 batting championships. He also won eight slugging championships. On his 70th birthday, a sports writer interviewed the great hitter and asked simply, if you were playing today, what do you think your batting average would be? Well, said Cobb, probably 280 or 290. The reporter went on to ask, is that because of the artificial turf, the night games, the increased traveling, better pitchers, and so forth? No, answered Cobb. It's because I'm 70 years old. Humility, you see, was never one of Cobb's stronger points. It appears that some Christians are guilty of this same sort of dangerous overconfidence. It is exhibited by their flirtation with temptation and sin. All too often we see Christians who want to see just how close they can come to sin without actually committing it. And so they flirt with social drinking, immodest dress, filthy communication, lasciviousness in the form of dirty movies and TV shows, dancing, and so forth. They seem to believe that they can go to the very brink of sin and then stop. It is not so, not for any of us, and such thinking is sure to bring ruin sooner or later, usually sooner. In fact, in many of these areas, they have already crossed the line, and their souls are in eternal peril. We need to follow Paul's instructions to Timothy. He said, quote, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and meekness. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 11. So, Christian, don't see how close you can come to sin. See how far you can stay away. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. Hi, my name is Mike Holt. My wife and I, we love listening to the virtual Bible study. A streaming Bible study. Why didn't I think of that? Now back to the guys. And we're back on the virtual Bible study. We thank you for being out there on the Internet and participating in our study tonight. We're talking about religious unity. We're talking about the problem of religious division. And uh, uh, we want to go to the second part of our study that we suggested earlier, and that is what upon what basis can we have religious unity? How, how could we get past religious division and have unity. Chris, as we were saying at the outset in our introductory remarks, some have suggested let's just have unity by ignoring our differences. Uh, you, you believe one thing, I believe something totally different. Let's just ignore that and be united. Well, you know, obviously that is not going to work even with them. They want to make an appeal like that, but what if the differences are as stark as between the teaching of Scripture and the teaching of, of what they call today radical Islam. Or Satanism. Well, that's right. I mean, but, but just taking Islam for a moment, uh, where the infidels, which happens to be anyone who's not a Muslim, are to be killed and cut up and whatnot, uh, if that is their marching order, and our, our marching orders are to uh, love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us, how are we going to have div- how are we going to have unity on that basis? Uh, th- there is no unity when when one standard is completely immoral from top to bottom. There is no unity. But you mentioned Satanism. This would be the worship of Satan and the doing of his will. How is there unity on that basis? Somehow or another, folks have decided that unity can be achieved in what is called "quote unquote" Christianity, with all the different denominations and whatnot. Uh, but if you're going to if you're going to accommodate them, then why not accommodate every religious order, no matter how despicable it is to you? It just seems to be consistent. You know what's interesting, Chris, and I think I think all of our listeners will will probably relate to this. All these people who say we should have unity and diversity, we should agree to disagree, we'll just overlook everything that we disagree about and we'll claim that we're united. Mm -hmm. Even those people draw the line somewhere. Somewhere. Everybody draws the line somewhere. Uh, You know, and and if you brought up certain things, some people say, I can't go, I can't do that. That's right. And so if you're going to draw a line somewhere, then you've got to have some reason for where you've drawn that line. And I think that. The only reasonable thing, then, is to draw the line based upon the teaching of God's Word, the truth of Scripture. If the line can be drawn acceptably by a human, then I can come along and move the line. You know, who who gets to tell me that I can't move the line? I I might be able to move the line closer to my position. Uh, You know, how how do we know who can move the line and who can't move the line? That's the problem problem with these lines that we're drawing. And and I want to tell you something, Chris. If you get to add something that's on your agenda, Mm -hmm. 
then I'd very well be better, better be able to add what's on my agenda. Right. I'm not going to let you, right. I'm not going to let you get a break. I want the that's same right. consideration you get. Absolutely. And then there's no stop in place. Well, and, and that's the problem with, with, uh, what we call religion, period. Uh, if you simply, if you simply just go by the, the scriptures, uh, there is no quote-unquote religion. There is simply the spiritual body of Christ. There is simply unity on the basis of an infallible standard. And you have, uh, you'll have congregations of the people of God who teach the very same thing because we're teaching book, chapter, and verse. Uh, but where you have modern religion and all this, this uh, ecumenical uh, attitude that has been cultivated, then you're going to have uh, folks who want to draw a line somewhere or move the line somewhere or remove the line completely, the line, the line is the standard, and the standard is the infallible word of God. That's right. We understand <clears throat> Jesus promised to his apostles in John 16, verse 13, that they would be led into all truth. That's right. Truth is not a progressive thing. <laughs> it's not a thing that changes over right. time. All truth was known in the first century within the lifetime of those apostles. Jesus promised it would be so, John mm-hmm. 16, 13. Therefore, when they taught and preached, they were tre- preaching the inspired word of God. We have got to believe that and accept it. And that's the only place, the only reasonable place, the only workable place to draw that line. In Second John verse 9, it says, Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. If there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither bid him Godspeed. For he that biddeth him Godspeed is partaker of his evil deeds. John made it pretty clear. There is the basis of unity. Absolutely, and that's what it's always going to be. Uh, there are so many things that you know just come to my mind about about unity. You think about Diotrephes and uh, Third John, when, when John writes about Diotrephes, who does not accept what the apostles say. Uh, there was there was division there that was not acceptable. If if unity and doctrinal diversity is is acceptable to the Lord, then why not diatrophies? You mentioned that truth is not progressive; it's not subjective; it doesn't change over time. But there are some people who think that. And with all due respect, with all due respect, if that's what you think, I would be curious if you'd play uh, basketball with me with those rules. I mean, you know, if yeah. if we're gonna, you know, if rules change or if and, truth and, changes, and I can make up the rules that I like as, as, I, as I'm going, right? And, you know, nobody nobody can do that. And uh, if you have that, you have you have utter chaos and and, uh, and confusion. God is not the God of confusion, but is is the author of peace. Uh, Arthur from Cullioka, Tennessee, writes in First Corinthians chapter one, verse ten. That's a text that we've alluded mm-hmm. to several times already in our study. Let me read it real quick. First Corinthians 1, verse 10. Paul said, I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Arthur says, uh, the command is to be of the same mind and the same judgment. How can we be of the same judgment? He well, references Ephesians 5.21, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. And also in that text he referred to 1 Corinthians 1.10, speak the same thing. And the same thing is, is not a subjective belief of something, but the same thing is what the text teaches. Teach what the scripture says. If you do that, you're speaking the same thing. It makes, it makes perfect sense. But on, on that question, by the way, what things will lead to religious unity, uh, here's, a, here's another response from, from Don who sent this email in. He says, the smaller the group, the better chance of unity. But in the broader sense, it's not going to happen. In, in some respect, and, and again, with all due respect, Don, outside of this discussion, I would probably agree with that statement. The smaller the group, the better chance of unity. You're, you're going to have some closeness and, and all of that. Uh, the, the, in the broader sense, it's not going to happen. But, but regardless of the size of the group, regardless of the size of the group, there may be a closeness in a smaller group where everybody knows everybody. Uh, but that's not unity as we're discussing here. We're talking about uh, a fellowship, a uniting uh, with one another on the basis of a standard, and the standard is the thus saith the Lord. So no matter how big the group, it could be 500, it could be 100, it could be 50, it could be 10. If everybody's walking by the same standard, there will be unity regardless of the number of people there. But uh, outside of this discussion, again, Don, outside of this discussion, I would agree with that. The smaller the group, the better the chance of, of unity in the sense of a closeness with one another because of just the nature of a group like that. But uh, but I don't think that inherently, because a group is large, and, and I don't know exactly what number would constitute large, but 
because a group is larger than a smaller group, I don't think inherently in that that that, that means that there's not going to be unity there. Uh, so, I mean, yeah. just, just in, in the broader sense, though, I understand, I think, I understand what Don is saying. And, just because, I think probably I would agree just because you have fewer people to deal with. Sure. The more people you get, the bigger chance you're going to have of somebody wanting to trail off. That's right. And leave the, the strict adherence to the authority of God's word. And that is the issue. The reason why there is division is because people are appealing to different standards of authority and the, really the only basis upon which we can have unity is to agree to the same standard of authority. A good buddy, Pat, sends in an email. And I don't, Pat, I don't have one and three from you, so maybe you just sent in number That's two. That's all I did. Yeah. Okay. Uh, his answer to what things will lead to religious unity is because God gave us free will. Discussion, debate, persuasion does not always work, but is the only thing we have to seek unity. Uh, and that's right. He, of course, he's, you know, he doesn't deny the, the standard by which we obtain unity, but these, these are methods we, we go by to seek unity with one another. We're going to discuss, debate, persuade. Uh, all of these are actually authorized by the word, the very standard we're going to have uh, that achieves unity. So uh, as Pat mentions, that we have a free will, and, 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 and you're going to believe And what Pat believe. says is right. We, we're never going to get there if we just ignore our differences. That's right. We're never going to get there if... If we refuse to, first of all, acknowledge that the differences exist, and then secondly, having acknowledged them, refuse to discuss them. So I think think Pat's on, on track there when he says we've got to talk about things if we're ever going to have unity. Keith sends in an answer. Uh, what things will lead to religious unity? Recognition that Jesus is the Son of God. A lot of people do that. Uh, and then that the good news of Jesus Christ is God's message to mankind and that the Bible is his word. Again, I agree with that completely. So do a lot of people. But then there, that, there that's needs to a look. Taken at its uh, yeah. true meaning, that is an accurate answer. But but a lot of people give lip service to that. That's right. Uh, and and they don't they don't mean what that really say, what well, they're saying. That's right. And I'm satisfied Keith knew right, that. As right, he was right, right, right. Exactly. I'm right. sure of it. I know. I I don't know Keith uh, other than by reputation. So uh, I know exactly what Keith is getting at, and he's he's absolutely right but, to say but that. But as you said, a lot of people will give lip service right. to that and not mean it sincerely. Mm-hmm. Well, the Pharisees were, were evidence of, of lip service, but not uh, not worship that was sincere. Right. And I think you got one more. I there. do. Um, the uh, Phil sends in this one. Uh, what things will lead to religious unity? Uh, and he gives several attitudes. Uh, yeah, we're going to get to that right after and, the and break. He, he says that those attitudes basically will lead to religious unity. Okay. All right. So we got we've got the first part of our study done. We're going to go to the la- after our last break here. We're going to go to the part about what attitudes do we all need to possess to achieve unity. We've talked about the fact that unity is the goal. Unity was desired and prayed for by Jesus. Unity is commanded in the scriptures, but division happens because we do not at all agree and adhere to the strict authority of the word of God. That is the basis of unity, strict adherence to the truth of God's word. Now, if we're going to do that, then we're all going to have to possess necessary attitudes in order to get it done. And that's what we want to talk about when we come back from this break. So be thinking along those lines. Send us an email. Give us a phone call. The email address is questions at collegeview.com. The phone number is 877-381-4567. Or get in the chat room and make your comments there. We've not been able to monitor that because... I'm so busy pushing these buttons over here, Chris. I've not been able to monitor the chat room very well, but I think I see that there's a lot of activity going on in the chat room, and uh, I'm sure that uh, those who are there are getting some good uh, discussion going. I wish we could spend a little more time reading some of their comments, but we appreciate the comments in the chat room. So we'll be right back after this break. We're going to go to the top of the hour. Uh, join us in discussing the proper attitudes we need to possess in order to achieve unity. We'll be right back after this break. Did you hear what they just said? Call in during this break and let everyone know what you think. The virtual Bible study continues after this announcement. Hi, my name is Mike Johnson. I'm a member here at the College of You Church of Christ. Have you ever heard someone say that the members of the Church of Christ are too legalistic? Generally, people say this when we say that we must be careful to follow all the commands that God has given us. When we say, God says we must do this, or God doesn't command us to do that, people respond with, the members of the Church of Christ are too legalistic. Well, while it may be impossible to know exactly what people mean when they make this accusation, if they are accusing us of being legalistic because we say that we should follow all the instructions that God has given us, then that accusation is correct. But let me ask you this. Which of the commands that God has given us should we ignore? Can we pick and choose which commands we follow, or must we follow? 
follow them all. Jesus said we have to follow all the commands of God when he said in Luke chapter 6, verse 46, And why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? We want to call Jesus our Lord, so we try to follow all the commandments that he has given us. We don't in any way think that following God's commands earns our salvation, but we do think it is necessary to be pleasing to him. Here at the College of You Church of Christ, we're trying to follow every command that God has given us. If, as a result, some people call us legalistic, then so be it. We think it's what God calls being righteous. My name is Rick Harris, and I love to listen to the virtual Bible study. I hope you'll join me and many others in this weekly Internet Bible study group. Be sure to listen every Thursday night. Quit checking your email. The commercials are over, and the virtual Bible study is ready to roll. Take it away, guys. And we're back for our final segment on the virtual Bible study for this Thursday night, May the 13th. Thanks for joining us. As we're talking about religious unity, we're talking about the problem of religious division. And we've been covering some necessary things, I think, Chris. We've been talking about really the groundwork, uh, the, the the importance of unity, and really the only basis upon which any semblance of unity can be achieved, and that's through agreeing upon the, the absolute standard of the truth in God's Word. Yeah, well, that's going to have to be necessary. We can't just agree on part of it. Uh, it has to be complete. And again, there are going to be areas where we have matters of judgment. Those areas are matters of indifference. But uh, obviously, a lot of people want us to agree to disagree with, with one another and, and get along with one another. And we would like that if that was the call of the Lord and the gospel. But there are there when you consider statements such as, as Paul's statement to Titus in Titus 2 and verse 1, but as for you, speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. There are, without getting off off the course in this discussion, there are a number of things that are not fitting for sound doctrine. Faith-only salvation is not fitting for sound doctrine. And so while people that believe faith-only salvation, Greg, do believe that Jesus is the Son of God, they do believe his word to be infallible and inspired, they just simply are missing it on on what is required to be saved. And, and my point about that is not to get into a, a big discussion on faith-only salvation as much as it is to highlight that there are going to be things when the Bible says, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, and someone says, I believe in faith-only salvation, there cannot be unity on that basis because one person will believe, based on the Scriptures, that the other person is not only wrong, but is teaching a doctrine that doesn't save one single soul. There can't be unity there. And so the unity has to come from the whole of what the book of God has to say. Psalm 119, verse 160, the sum, S-U-M, the sum of your word is truth. You can't be a one-verse Charlie, as one preacher said a long time ago. You can't just grab one and say, well, I'm not going to look at the others. You have to take everything the Scripture says. Arthur sent in another email from Cullioca, Tennessee. I know a lot of our listeners probably have no idea where Cullioca, Tennessee is. Oh, but if you don't, you're missing out. You're <laughs> you missing go. out. Cullioca is a fine little town. Uh, here's Arthur's comment. Now, this is a good point. I really like this point. Second <clears throat> John verses 9 and 10. Whosoever abideth not in the doctrine, singular, the doctrine of Christ, right. he that abideth in the doctrine, singular, of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. If they're coming in to you and bring not this doctrine, receive him not. When it's, when it, there's only one doctrine of Christ, but then notice Matthew 15 verse 9. It says, in vain, they do worship me, teaching for doctrines, plural, the commandments of men. So he makes a point about there's just one doctrine of Christ. There's well, not a plurality of doctrines. There's one doctrine of Christ. There are many doctrines of men. Well, that's true. There's one no doctrine of Christ. And we've got to be united on the doctrine just, of Christ. Just as a side note, some people do take issue with Second John 9, where the doctrine of Christ, and say, well, that's not... That's not the doctrines that the apostles taught, and I'm not using that out of connection with what Arthur said, but just just as a, as a point of distinction, uh, the many things that the apostles taught. That's just simply the doctrine about Christ. Um, and so some will try to argue that that perspective and say, well, you know, whoever goes uh, too far and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ, that's just simply the doctrine that Jesus is the Son of God. I don't believe that's a true interpretation well, of that text. Well, not only that, I think that we can refute that fair enough in Matthew 16 uh, when when Jesus spoke about um, being beware, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The conclusion of that in verse 12, then they, that's the apostles, understood that he did not say beware of the leaven of bread, but of the doctrine of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. So it, it, it wasn't the doctrine about the Pharisees and about the Sadducees. It was the doctrine they were teaching, or as Arthur points out in Matthew 15, the doctrines that they were teaching. 
Uh, it can't. You can't have unity on that basis. You're only going to have unity on the doctrine of Christ on the basis of that. All right. All right. Let's talk about these attitudes real quickly. I think what the attitudes that we've got to possess in order to achieve unity, if it's going to happen, we're going to have to be acting properly. We've said we've sort of mm-hmm. said all through the program, Chris, that the problem of division is a problem with people. It's a people problem. Mm-hmm. It's not. It's not a problem with the Word of God. It's not a problem with His revelation. It's a problem with people. So we've got to possess the right attributes or characteristics or attitudes. And that's the question that we, the last question that we ask. I think there's a couple of important texts along this line. One is Philippians chapter two, verses one through four. I want to read it. If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the spirit, if any bowels of mercy, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. In that text, Paul mentions that we can't do anything through selfish ambition. You know, and, and unfortunately, that has caused a lot of division through the years. Mm-hmm. Certain individuals have, have some personal agenda or selfish ambition, and they, they, they are conceited, proud, and they cause division. Sure. So that, that's reality. Lowliness of mind is necessary. Humility. Um, that's going to be the sort of the opposite of what we're just talking about. I, I've got to be humble enough to submit, submit to God and submit to others. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't always have to have my way. Now, it has to be God's way, sure. but it doesn't always have to be my way. I want that wall painted red. And if you don't agree with me, we're going to have a, a, yeah, throw, a throw, throw down right throw here. out of the synagogue. Yeah. yeah. It doesn't have to be my way when, when it's matters of judgment or right. personal opinion. Mm-hmm. It always has to be God's way, but it doesn't have to be my way at all. And I've got to be humble enough to accept that. Let each esteem other better than himself, you know. And and so one of our problems, again, that all of this text seems to be pointing out the problem of pride as it r- relates to causing division. And then he says, look out for the interest of others, not just for my own interest, selfishness. So selfishness and arrogance in opposition to humility are going to be problems that prevent unity. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Psalm 119, verse 97, the psalmist says, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. If we have that attitude and that desire to love the law of Christ uh, and and meditate upon it as often as we possibly can, then uh, if everybody had that attitude, religious unity would be achieved, I think. Okay. Anthony uh, suggests Ephesians 4, and I think it's another important text on attitudes toward unity. Ephesians 4, uh, beginning in verse 1, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called with all lowliness and meekness, with longsuffering, forbearing one another, uh, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Uh, In that text, Paul suggests lowliness, again, humility, gentleness, a longsuffering disposition, bearing with one another in love, and making an effort, I especially like the idea of endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Peace will not happen accidentally. Mm-hmm. You're going to have to work at it. You have to put forth effort to achieve unity. Um, in answer to the question, what attitudes must we all possess in order to achieve unity, I wanted to give uh, uh, one last or at least a, a reading of Don's email because he, he worked so hard to put it together. And uh, I'm not quite sure, Don, that I understand your answer to this one. Uh, and when I say I understand it, it's just a little, maybe a little deeper than I'm thinking right now. So, Greg, I'll defer to you okay. on, on, on interpreting this. I do appreciate some of the things that he's saying. He, he does say we have to become weak in our own beliefs and willing to make compromises so as not to sow discord or offend others. In short, to achieve unity, every religion, including Christianity, would have to throw away their individual doctrines. Any professed Christian who believes in ecumenicism is, in effect, denying Christ. I understand that, but uh, again, there's, well, there's, uh, if, there's if, a curiosity. I'm not that, sure but. if I'm not sure I'm getting that right either. But yes, we need to all throw away our individual doctrines mm-hmm. and and just adhere to the well, doctrine of Christ. I, I, I deny that I have an individual doctrine, but that's uh, again. Well, if you if if you believe anything that's not the same, well, yeah, that's right. Then that's individual to I, you, I, I, I no, and you need that. to get rid of it. Yes, and I would. And that's um, our goal. That's that's what we're saying is our goal. That's right. And he says this is so easy to understand that even Adolf Hitler got it right. And he gives the quote of Hitler. 
the greatness in Christianity did not lie in attempted negotiations for compromise with any similar philosophical opinions in the ancient world, but in its inexorable or inexorable fanaticism in preaching and fighting for its own doctrine. And then there's yet another quote from from Hitler there um, uh, where he says Christianity could not content itself with building up its own altar. It was absolutely forced to undertake the destruction of heathen altars. Only from this fanatical intolerance could its uh, apodictic, I, I, I think I said that right, uh, faith take form. This intolerance is, in fact, is absolute presupposition. Uh, again, uh, I'm not exactly sure that I understand the context of the quote or how, how Hitler is spending it, uh, or in, you know, in the sense in which Don is, is using it here to advance the point. Um, but he, uh, just to give one more look to Don's answer, uh, he just simply, let's just say it this way. He says we have to become weak in our own beliefs and willing to make compromises so as not to sow discord or offend others. If I understand that in this in this vein, uh, we we don't sow discord among others by preaching false doctrine. We don't make our personal judgment the judgment of others or required the uh, as as the judgment of others. Then I would agree with Don's statement. There. Okay, all right. I got an email from Randy in Swartz Creek, Michigan. I'm not sure where Swartz Creek is, but Randy writes: I believe what's written in Ephesians four verse three, giving diligence to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. The next verses, then he, he cites the next verses. There's one body, one spirit, even as you called, one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in you all. This will go a long way in helping children of God to have true unity. You know, it has been suggested that Paul there set forth a platform for unity. But I think within that platform would be the kind of things that we've been talking about tonight when he spoke of one body and one spirit, mm-hmm. one faith, which I think, it comprises all the practice of, Christi- of right. Christianity. So I do think, I agree with Randy, that, that Ephesians 4, 3 says we're to endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit, and the next verses, 4 through 6, sort of give a platform for such unity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. and I think, again, that's a, that's a, that's a good uh, understanding of Ephesians 4, the Christian platform. Uh, if we If we come to an understanding of all of that, uh, the one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, so on and so forth, one faith. Uh, that is that is important. If we understand that, then we understand uh, the system of faith being the New Testament for you and for me uh, is what we're governed by, thus saith the Lord. And on that basis, and in a strict adherence to that, uh, not wavering from it, we do achieve unity. Got one more email from Arthur. He simply mentions Jude verse 3. Mm-hmm. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Other versions say once for all delivered to the saints. And so this is not a a progressive or changeable thing. Whatever was taught in the first century must be taught today. Yeah. Uh, again, I apologize to those of you who've been chatting away in the chat room. It looks like there's been good activity there. We haven't been able. We just haven't. We're not. We're not fast enough here tonight <laughs> to be able to keep up with all the discussion in the chat room. But we appreciate those who've been giving uh, their point of view there in the chat room as well. I see Sharon is there. Uh, I see. Uh, I see. Jacob has joined us hey. from Gatlinburg in the chat room tonight. Him. He's not here in person, but he's in the chat room. Uh, John in, in Edmond, Oklahoma, has been in there. I'm you trying to see if you could say that Jacob is virtually here. I he's virtually here. Yes. Yeah. All right. And, anyway, and I think we've talked um, about an important subject tonight, Chris. Yes, the, we did. You know, the, the subject of unity. It is important. It is commanded. It is desired yeah. by God and Christ. Therefore, it is not a thing to be taken lightly or disregarded or just say it's not important. We got to pay attention to it to achieve it. We're going to have to come to agreement about the things taught in the Word of God and be submissive to it. And we're going to have to have a right attitude, not only toward the Word of God, but also toward one another That's right. in order to get it done. Well, there's no other way to achieve it. And we know that um, the Lord wants unity. We should want unity. We're certainly willing to uh, um, strive for unity, but not apart from the divine standard of God and His will. Uh, one last thank you to all of you who sent emails in. We appreciate that so much and you listening to the program. Continue to listen. Continue to send in your emails as uh, as they are answered uh, every week here on the Virtual Bible Study. All right, Chris, thank you for being with us tonight. Thank appreciate you. it very Thank much. you for the invitation. And thank you all for listening tonight. Uh, we always look forward to these Thursday night virtual Bible studies, and we hope you'll make it a regular appointment. I suggest sometimes that you maybe put a, an, uh, an alarm on your cell phone yeah. for 
this time each Tuesday night. Let it remind you to get to the computer and turn it on. Gather the family around. We sometimes say use your computer for something good for a change. That's right. So, again, thanks for listening. As Jacob always says at the end of the program, read and study your Bible every day. You'll never regret it. Until next week, thanks for joining us on the Virtual Bible Study. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 930 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.